Welcome to the 155th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, one final look at the NBA Finals, and our weekly look at Major League Baseball. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, and we will be in Major League Baseball, as that's where all of Patrick's predictions were. Patrick went 2-2 two two in his Major League Baseball weekend series predictions, making him 2-2 two two overall this weekend and bringing his overall record to a 425-298 and 298 clip, a 58.8% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions? The Red Sox took 2 of 3 from the Cardinals. Uh, it started with a very strong start by Michael Waka, and because of that, and well, I should specify Michael Walker now pitching for the Red Sox because he pitched for the Cardinals for a long time, actually. Uh, but the Red Sox entered the ninth with a big lead in Game 1, which turned into a theme this series. They were up 6-1, to one, and despite the Cardinals scoring four runs in the top of the ninth, the Red Sox were able to walk away with a 6-5 to five victory. In Game 2, everybody on the Cardinals contributed to the win. In an 11-2 victory, every Cardinals starter scored at least one run, and every starter except Brandon Donovan had at least one hit. In Game 3, Boston once again took a 6-1 to lead into the top of the ninth, and again gave up multiple runs in the top of the ninth, uh, but despite a three-run home run from Juan Yepes uh, in the top of the ninth, the Red Sox won 6-4. to I picked the Cardinals. I was leaning, barely leaning to uh, picking the Cardinals in this series. It was really just coming down to who I felt I had observed as playing, I don't really know, better in the last few weeks. I mean, I, I guess the Red Sox were super, super hot for a while, and then they started to cool off a little bit, so I started to have a little less confidence in them, but both of these teams are very, very good, so this was not an obvious pick. It was really, it felt like a toss-up. I, I knew that uh, no matter what, this was going to be close, and I didn't really know who was going to win, so I figured, just go with the team with the better record, and uh, go with the team that was higher in my power rankings this week, so that was uh, the Cardinals, but I lost for that, and then the second series we'll be talking about, the Astros took two or three from the White Sox. This was an interesting series. The Astros took a 3-0 lead in the first two innings of Game 1. The White Sox tied it at 3 after an A.J. Pollock 3-run home run. But unfortunately for them, that was all the offense they were going to generate in the game. Uh, but the Astros were not done yet and uh, not even close. In the sixth inning, Jordan Alvarez would hit both an RBI single and a two-home run, while Kyle Tucker added an RBI double and a solo home run. And the biggest contribution of them all came from Michael Brantley, who also hit a grand slam in the 10-run sixth inning for the Astros. They won 13-3 in Game 1. But in Game 2, the White Sox bounced back, scoring seven runs, although only of them were four earned, although only four of them, sorry, I should say, uh, were earned runs. They all did come off of Justin Verlander uh, in the third and fourth innings. In Game 3 of the series, the Astros exposed how easy it is to hit home runs in their stadium to left, well, to left field and to right field, but in this game only to left field, with rookie J.J. Matajevich hitting his first career home run, uh, but it literally would have, actually, I don't know which one is which, but uh, also Mauricio Dubon hit a home run for both of them. Uh, they were over the Astros, I'll call it Mini Monster, which is kind of a mix-up of the uh, Yankee short porch in right field, but in left field instead, and the Fenway's green monster because the wall is high, but the distance is short. Uh, regardless, one of the home runs would have gone out in just two stadiums, the other one being Fenway, and the other one would have gone out in only four stadiums. So, you know, that's a little bit unfortunate if you're the White Sox and if you're Michael Kopech who gave up those home runs. However, 
the Astros have that stadium. The White Sox were playing in the same stadium. They could have just as easily hit the same home runs. They just didn't happen to do that. I mean, I'm not not trying to take anything away from the Astros. Hey, I picked them to win this week. I'm happy that they have that short that uh that wall. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it, it's definitely to be said that not necessarily the strongest home runs we've ever seen. Uh, but you know, Homer is a Homer, and uh, regardless, the Astros uh, took a 4-1 lead by the end of the fifth inning, and despite Hector Neris giving up two runs in the eighth, the Astros won the game 4-3 to end the series and take the series a win for me. And the second win of the week for me, well, two out of two, I should say, uh, the Yankees took 2-3 from the Blue Jays. They got a grand slam from Anthony Rizzo in game one uh, that was part of an eight-run that was part of an eight-run fifth inning in the first game of the series. They won that game 12-3. Then in Game 2, Aaron Hicks had a bases-clearing three-run double with the bases loaded to take a 3-0 lead. And that was all the run support they needed to take Game 2. They won 4-0 in the end behind a strong start from Jamison Tyone. And uh, that meant they had already closed out the series. But in Game 3, while going for the sweep, the Blue Jays finally put up some resistance. The Yankees held both 6-2 and 8-3 leads in Game 3. But the Blue Jays came back to win 10-9 behind a grand slam from Lourdes Gurriel Jr., and a Teoscar Hernandez three-run home run. Fun fact, the Yankees were previously 17-0 this season with five-run leads. That was their first blown five-run lead of the season uh, at the hand of the at the hands of the Blue Jays, although I think their division lead is still 11 games, but we'll, uh, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, then the Guardians and the Dodgers. This is as close as I've ever been to picking against the Dodgers. The Guardians had won 13 of 17 games heading into the series, and had also won five series in a row. I looked at their schedule, and they weren't necessarily playing the greatest teams, so I still ended up picking the Dodgers. Uh, but, to be honest, I was leaning Guardians until I saw that their closer, Emmanuel Classe, wouldn't be available in the first game of the series, and I thought that it might be a close one with uh, the Dodgers having Clayton Kershaw on the mound. I thought that it'd be a low-scoring game and that it would need the Dodgers to only get a few runs, and then, you know, maybe, maybe it would come down to a situation where the Guardians needed their closer and... Uh, either in a tie game or in a close game, and they wouldn't have him. I was right. Uh, they, it was a one-to-one game in the bottom of the ninth, and the Dodgers didn't even have to face Emmanuel Classe, who, well, they later faced on Sunday, and we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but Cody Bellinger got on base and, sc- and stole second. But even with a man on second and zero outs, and even first and third with one out after a Guardians error by Oscar Gonzalez, uh, the Dodgers failed to capitalize. They also did the same thing in the 10th inning, uh, where after it went to the 10th inning, the Guardians won 2-1. to In Game 2, the Dodgers' offense carried them to a 7-1 to win. Nothing really interesting, just some home runs, some doubles, some singles, whatever. A lot of runs for the Dodgers, not a close game. Uh, and then by Game 3, it came down to a battle of the bullpens. Both Andrew Heaney and Shane Bieber left in a 2-2 tie, although in different innings. Uh, but Dodgers took a 3-2 lead on an infield single plus error on a Trey Turner hit. The Guardians equalized in the top of the eighth, and then Craig Kimbrell gave up two runs in the top of the ninth with the game tied 3-3. With Class A coming in this time for the save situation, the Dodgers were shut down in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, in, in case you're wondering what was wrong with the offenses in the series, the struggles for both teams can partially be attributed, probably a major amount for both of the teams, to the leading MVP candidate in the AL, at least according to me, Jose Ramirez, being out uh, for two of the three games in the series, although in the first game where they only scored two runs and it took them until the 10th to get the second one, he was actually playing in that game too. Uh, and Mookie Betts, who's the Dodgers MVP candidate, definitely cases isn't as strong as Jose Ramirez's, but he's also the engine of the Dodgers offense, and 
when he's going, the Dodgers are great. When he's not, uh, they're not so great. And when he's not playing, evidently, they're not too great either. Um, but Mookie missed all three games. And as I said, J-Ram missed the final two. So that was uh, that's why this series was very, very low scoring, along with strong bullpens and good pitching staffs for both of the teams. That's what they're built around. The Guardians hit four sacrifice flies in this series, uh, which is something that the Dodgers have only done once since May 28th. And that's part of their struggles as a team. But we'll talk about that a little bit later uh, when we go to the MLB. Okay, that wraps up our look back at Patrick's weekend predictions. His predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday. Now let's turn our attention to the NBA with a quick look back at the end of the NBA Finals. As we uh, all know by now, the Warriors have won the NBA Finals. They won in six games exactly as I predicted, Um, although I said that I thought Boston would push it to seven and... uh, the reasons I indicated actually ended up pretty being pretty accurate, but uh, the Warriors did win in the end, 103 to 90, uh, behind strong performance mainly from Steph Curry. Uh, Clay Thompson tried to emulate Game Six Clay. He took enough shots to have those famed performances that he's had in the past, but uh, the shots weren't falling. He was five of 20, two of eight from three, only 12 points in the game, but. I think you can argue that the second best player on this team throughout the playoff run was Andrew Wiggins. Uh, Throughout the entire playoff run is maybe more of a debatable topic, but throughout the finals, no doubt about it, he was the second best player on this team. Uh, He had a good game. He had 18.6 rebounds, 5 assists. He was 4 of 9 from 3. He played 44 minutes, by far the most on the team, and uh, tied for the most with Jalen Brown for most minutes in the game. Uh, he was 7 for 18 from the field, but when you consider how well he shot from 3, I don't think they really care how many mid-range or layups or whatever shot, other types of shots he wasn't able to hit. Um, 18 points, 6 rebounds, 5 assists, like I said, a very good performance from him. Draymond had 12, 12, and 8, almost had a triple-double instead of his patented triple-single, um, according to many analysts. But uh, look... Otto Porter started, only played 13 minutes, but he pitched in six points, and then Jordan Poole came off the bench, scored 15. Gary Payton played great defense while scoring six of his own off the bench, and Kevon Looney, despite not scoring, uh, had seven rebounds in the game, so he did his job too. Um, and then, you know, they got Andre Iguodala. They they didn't get anybody else any minutes at the end of the game. They did not bring in, they did not take out any of their starters but they did put Andre Iguodala for one minute in in this game six. I think that was very important. And uh, at the end of the game, if anybody noticed, he did get the game ball for Stephen Curry. He made sure to do that. Got the game ball for Steph, who, now that, I, now that I've mentioned that little backstory, I will mention, carried this team to the finals win. Definitely, whether you want to say he was robbed of past finals MVPs or not, that's a different discussion. I'm not here to debate that. I honestly don't remember those finals enough to really talk about it. I could do some research and figure it out, but as we stand now, he 100% deserved this finals MVP, adding 34 points, 7 assists, 7 rebounds on 12 of 21 uh, shooting, and 6 of 11 from 3. He carried this team, not only in this series, but throughout the playoffs, and uh, there's nothing more you can say about Steph. He just had a great, great series, averaged 30 points. I think he's one of Three players, I'm pretty sure. Three guards over 30 to average 30 uh, in the finals. So, pretty sure. Something like that. Um, so, look, Steph was great. Uh, the whole team was great. They shot 41% from the field, 41% from three. Actually, the exact same percentage, down to the 10th in percentage. Um, and 
they were able to limit their turnovers. And on the other side of things, the Celtics have that magic number where if they turn the ball over more than 16 times, they automatically lose. And uh, along with Jason Tatum becoming the first player ever in NBA history to have 100 turnovers in a whole in a in one postseason, uh, they had 22 as a team in Game Six. Tatum had five. Brown had five. It just was not very good from the Celtics. Uh, Jalen Brown, though, deserves some credit uh, for the fact that um, he had 34 points on 12 of 23 shooting and 5 of 11 from the field. Actually, pretty much matched Steph Curry pretty much down to the tee, but unfortunately not able to uh, convert that into a win because Marcus Smart was uh, Marcus Smart was 4 of 12 from the field. Jason Tatum only had 13 points, had 0 in the second half uh, on 6 of 18 shooting in the game. Al Horford had 19 points and 14 rebounds on 6 of 8 shooting, but again, just not enough. Didn't get any, literally got 5 points from the bench. Uh, 1 for 8 combined for Derek White and Grant Williams. So, uh, and actually didn't realize that Peyton Pritchard played important minutes. He played 8 minutes too, so make that 1 for 10 combined for their bench unit, uh, including 0 of 5 on 3s. So not a great performance from Boston, and the turnovers were what killed them. Their, their magic number was 16. They lost every game, pretty much every game. I think they won one game when they turned the ball over more than 16 times, and in this game, 22 is just way too much. So uh, that was the end of their season, and, uh, you know, they'll be back next year. They'll be stronger, uh, but at the same time, not the way you want to see their season, and if you're a Celtics fan, especially because it was on their home court, and they were not able to defend that multiple times in the series, despite doing the hardest thing. Well, statistically, one of the hardest things to do in NBA playoff history is beat the Warriors on the road in the last seven years. or Yeah, in the last seven years. And they did that. They actually came out of the series. They came out one game one. They were up one to nothing. They were up two to one even. All, I mean, they had a game four at home to make it a three to one lead. And they had a game six at home to push it to a game seven, and they failed to convert on that and sandwiched that in with one game five win at home for the Warriors and uh, three straight wins to take the series for the Warriors. Uh, just sad for the Celtics that uh, they lost three times in a row to end their season, but the Warriors deserved it. Yeah, good for the Warriors, good for Steph Curry, um, I think. And many of them mentioned in their parade, since you said good for the Warriors, this was by far the hardest championship yeah. they won. And the only one that could even be debated is the actual first one uh, in 2015 where not only did they not have Kevin Durant, but they had never been there before. But uh, de- this one definitely meant a lot more to them too also because they were literally in in the, well, they were in the, in the, in the gutter of the NBA. They were literally the last worst record in the league. Yeah. Um, and as Bob Myers said, they got their GM, they got kicked off the mountain and they fell really hard off of it, but they climbed up to it. They climbed back up to it again. And here they are standing as champions. Yeah. And uh, I just hope for those people who were maybe uh, Steph haters, maybe not haters, but maybe not giving him the credit that he's due. I think it's time to give him the credit that he's due. He clearly pulled this team to a championship all by himself. Like you said, all right, well, that's not all I, by himself. Well, he, he, led, he led the team. He definitely he without, definitely carried the team. Though. Without without as strong of a supporting cast because even though... Oh, playing, this is by far the worst team yeah. they had supporting him. But I will say the one different thing is that... Well, obviously Kevin Durant... With Kevin Durant and also the Warriors... I guess you can call them a big three of Steph, Clay, and Draymond. I, yeah, they're a big three. Um, other than the season... The two seasons with Kevin Durant, yes, they had basically a big four. But... The only thing is they did have Wiggins this year, which did help them a lot. I, I could, 
I feel like someone could make the argument if they find the right stats to cherry pick that this might have been a better supporting cast in 2015. But I, I feel like it's not just because Clay Thompson wasn't as good. But if you talk about the guys around Steph and Clay, no, I'm talking about Clay. Yeah, because Clay himself wasn't as good. But if you talk about the guys surrounding Steph and Clay, this team was probably better than the 2015 team, like around. But Steph and Clay were Clay himself was way better in 2015 than he was in this run. Uh, not to take away any credit from him because you know he came back from what 940 days of not playing basketball. Yep. It's pretty hard to returned to a level where he was probably a top 10, top 15 player in the league at that time and on Hall of Fame trajectory. So it's hard to, it's hard, it's hard to, hard do to that. imagine a feel-good story for a team that won, that's won three championships in the prior seven seasons, but right. this was it. Although he did lose his although he did lose his championship hat into the water, so that's a different that's story. That's the feel-bad story. Yeah. Okay, well, that wraps up our look back at the NBA Finals. Let's now turn our attention to Major League Baseball, starting, as always, in the American League East. The New York Yankees are leading this division at 49-17. and 17. I'm going to do what I do every week now, which is take out a calculator and figure out how many wins they're on pace for. That number would be 120 at this point. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're doing pretty well, in case you can't tell. Um, they had won nine in a row until the Blue Jays beat them once, and uh, that was all they were going to spare this weekend. The Blue Jays did not catch up ground. And despite having a good enough record to lead the AL Central, the Blue Jays are 11 games back in the division. Um, they, they, they have their sights set on the top wild card spot. Let's just leave it at that. I think, you know, I don't want to be rude to the Blue Jays because, you know, they are my preseason World Series pick. Um, and I still think they can get there. But, and by the way, a 576 winning percentage, as I said, it's good enough to win the Central. It's normally good enough to be at least only a few games back in the division, um, but just not based on the... Uh, actually, they'd win the AL Central and the AL, and the NL Central, fun fact. Um, but it's just not good enough when you have a team that's literally on an all-time best record pace um, like the Yankees are. The only thing that can stop the Yankees is health. I mean, it, it always seems to do that, um, mainly with Aaron Judge, mainly with Giancarlo Stanton, a lot of the time with their pitching staff, but their starting pitching has been better this year. It doesn't seem like even, well, they've normally had issues with injuries and the starting pitching just not being as good as it's supposed to be. This year, really, everybody's performing up to expectations and they're not injured already. So they're having everything go their way. Uh, It's not impossible that it could collapse a little bit, but I I still don't think there's any way this team is going to miss the playoffs at this point. I think the pace they're on, no matter what happens in the rest of the season, they go 500, they end up 32 games above 500. That is way more than enough uh, to be a to be a playoff team. What that would end up being like 98 and 64, something around that range. Actually, that was pretty close. That was that was almost spot on, right on a random guess. But 97 wins is enough to get you into the playoffs, which is what they would be if they were 32 games above 500. So theoretically, all they need to do from here on out is just go 500. I think they'd like to win the division, so maybe go a little above 500 uh, to get a 100-win season, and uh, I think they'll be able to do that too, but I don't want to be jinxing every team in existence, so uh, I'll just move on from the Yankees and the Blue Jays. Uh, two games back of the Blue Jays are the Tampa Bay Rays at 36-30. and 3-7 and seven in their last 10, though, which is what has allowed the Blue Jays to climb above them, and at this point, if you look at it, they're getting dangerously close to dropping to fourth in this division, uh, which is currently held by the Boston Red Sox, who are 13 and five, or sorry, 13.5 games back. 
Um, six and four in their last ten. They took that weekend series over the Cardinals. A good look for them. And uh, look, they're one game back in the loss column of the Rays. That's it. And they haven't even played well at home. They're barely a game above 500, so everything's looking good um, for them. And then plus 47 run differential is better than both the Blue Jays and the Rays. So definitely, recently, that's helping them out a lot. But uh, they're going to be a playoff team, I think. I think I'm pretty sure of that. Although, you know, there could be some things that get in their way. And uh, as we speak now, they actually wouldn't be a playoff team because if the season ended today, the Guardians now have a better winning percentage than both the Rays and the Red Sox. Uh, so they would actually be in the playoffs above one of those teams. At this point, would be the Red Sox. Maybe later on might be the Rays. Uh, that's an interesting topic that we'll talk about that in a second in the AL Central. And at the bottom of the division, not even playing too bad, the Baltimore Orioles, 30-38, and 38, um, 6-4 and in their last 10. Obviously, they're 20 games back of the Yankees. They're not catching the Yankees at all. But, uh, you know, maybe in a few years, that could be something they aspire to, as we already said. I'm not even trying to say that facetiously. I mean, they they know that they're young. They know that they can't really win much. But at least Jorge Mateo is the current favorite to be a Platinum Glove winner because uh, he has the highest defensive war in the league. Uh, So good for him. And uh, I guess, you know, the Orioles have some pieces. They even have Runet Odor. So they have a few pieces to build around. They have Cedric Mullins. And then they also have a, a ton of prospects who have been in the top 100 uh, and, you know, guys that are under their team control for a while. So, you know, add in a free agent here or there, make a few trades, and all of a sudden, they're probably going to be a team in playoff contention in a year or two, similar to the Rangers. But a team, let's move on to the AL Central, I guess now, a team that we didn't expect to be uh, in contention, the Cleveland Guardians, who are now only one game back of the division-leading Minnesota Twins. The Guardians are at 34-28. and 28. They just have, like, no games played. I don't know what happened. I think they, I think Minnesota must must have won the award in the league for most games rained out already because they have four less games played than pretty much everybody in the Yankees division. Uh, it, it, I don't know how that happened, but uh, they they just haven't played as many games. Uh, they're two actually ahead of the Twins in the loss column, but four back in the wins column. The Twins still leading this division at 38-30. and 30. However, going 5-5 five and five in their last 10, and the Guardians going 8-2 and two in their last 10 has allowed Cleveland to really sneak up on the Twins, and all of a sudden, they're on the cusp of taking the division lead, and uh, they really have to look in the rearview mirror because the Guardians are closer to the division lead than they appear. Uh, and now, as I said, eight and two in their last ten, six straight series wins, and a fu- and a fifteen and four record in their last nineteen games. They do have the youngest roster in the MLB, but they're now just one game back, so that's all positive for them. The White Sox still kind of struggling a little bit; they're hovering around five hundred. They're probably still going to need some trades to make a, a big playoff push. I don't think that just waiting on guys to be healthy is going to be enough because when you think about it, there's always someone who's injured. Even the Braves last year had to literally win the World Series without Ronald Acuna Jr. playing. There's always a need for at least depth. So they got they, they have to get some people at the deadline to make sure that they don't have this anywhere near the current roster that they're throwing out that's you know, keeping them at around 500 by the time they reach the playoffs, regardless of if they're just a little bit healthier and playing just a little bit better, it still won't matter. They need depth. Uh, the Detroit Tigers, they're 26 and 40, 11 games back. They should be way further behind in this division. They're three and seven in their last 10. However, the Riley Green era is off to a good start as they are two and zero with him after he uh, got called up and immediately stated, we're going to start scoring some runs and we're going to start winning some games. And he's actually been a key player in those, in those few games that they've won. I believe, over the Rangers at the end of the weekend. 
Um, so the Tigers have some things to look forward to, and that was part of the reason why there was so much hype around this team to start the season because they had two, I think, I think top 10 or top five even prospects at the beginning of the year, Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson, they were supposed to call up. Riley Green has been sidelined with an injury for the first, at this point, 64 games of the season. So that uh, that, that held him back, and then I think he did some rehab stuff in AAA. But at the same time, now he's here. Maybe the Tigers start scoring more. They scored a lot more over the weekend. They're now they're now not so far behind the last play, the second to last team in terms of runs scored. They're definitely behind, but not as far behind as they once were. So uh, that's a positive for them. Uh, and then you have the Kansas City Royals, who at 23 and 42 uh, don't quite have the worst record in the league, but they're pretty close to it. Okay, well let's move over to the American League West. The Astros are in the lead at 41 and 25. Uh, and look, I mean they they lost their they won their weekend series barely, but they're five and five in their last ten. And even though the Angels took four of five from the Mariners this weekend, they're still nine and a half games back. Um, so it's a comfortable lead uh, for the Astros over the second place Angels. And uh, five Mike Trout home runs did not really put much of a dent in it, uh, although. He definitely put a dent in the Mariners' pitching staff. Um, but, look, I don't see any other team winning this division. I already said before the season I thought the Astros were going to win it. I didn't I didn't buy all the Angels' hype and all the— they have this many new people that they added. I think I left them at around 12 or 13 uh, in my power rankings and even ranked them behind the Padres despite knowing about Tatis being out for forever. I, I did not believe in this team as a— really strong contender ever, but I did think they would be a playoff team, and uh, they still haven't lived up to that, and they're not even close to it at this point. They need to get really hot, and it can't just be only against the Mariners. They need to beat a lot of teams, not just a few teams. Um, And even, by the way, even something like the mini sweep that the Dodgers pulled off against them, the Dodgers, we're going to get to this in a second, but the Dodgers are 7-9 and in June, and they swept the Angels two, two games in a row against... The Red Sox. So I mean, I mean, sorry, against the Angels. So it's just not, it's just not what you'd like to see from a team that's trying to get to the playoffs. And they're not going to get to the playoffs if all they can do is beat up on the Mariners and get swept by good teams and lose series to good teams. They got to win a few here and there, especially because they've already dug themselves into a hole with that 14-game losing streak. Uh, but speaking of the other teams in this division, the Rangers are 31 and 35. Even they are a half a game back um, of the Angels right now. Uh, 10 games back of the Astros. Again, I've said it many times, and I'm not going to say it ever again. They have a good outlook for the future, but this is not their year. They could try to push the envelope if they want, but that's probably not going to be a good idea. Maybe they could do something like what the Dodgers did in the Trey Turner-Max Scherzer deal, where one of the guys is a half-of-a-year rental and the other guy is a one-and-a-half-year deal. Uh, so that you can at least keep the guy for next year, and obviously Trey Turner's still on the Dodgers because of that contract, but maybe they could do something like that with a player like that that maybe might help them make a little bit more of a playoff push and then still be able to keep him for next year with a fresh start. Um, I doubt it, though. I I think they're content with staying where they are and keeping their prospects in order for depth in in general, and uh, they'll call those guys up and get the major league at-bats so that they're ready for next season. On the other hand, the Mariners are not going to be doing that. They've already called up everybody they can call up. They've used all the reinforcements they can. And they're still 13 games back and three games back of even the Rangers uh, at 29 and 39. Not much to say about the Mariners. I don't watch them that much. I've said this a thousand times. 
They are not worth watching at this point, though. Either last year they were making that great wildcard run and they were having that weird year where they had a terrible run differential but were still way above 500. This year they have a an okay run differential. They're minus 19, but they're not super far under uh, in terms of negative run differential, but they're 10 games under 500. So not worth watching. Uh, the Angels, as I said, took four or five from them this weekend. Not what you like to see from them. Uh, and then finally, the A's with their 338 winning percentage, which is the worst in the major leagues. Uh, 23 and 45. They are three and seven in their last 10. So uh, not much to talk about with them. They're very, very bad. Uh, quick note, the Astros, who uh, are 621 winning percentage, they would be eight games behind the Yankees if they were in the division. It's just crazy. And I think that's probably the reason why the Rangers aren't going to make a move like you said. Because to do it, are they really going to you know, get past the Astros? Well, the it's not even the about the Astros. The playoffs. It's, for them, it would just be about making the playoffs and giving people that excitement with no, that no new building. But at the same time, they... Can the, the thing that you're ignoring here is that it's not even about advancing in the playoffs. The AL has too many good teams for them to get to the playoffs. Yeah. They, I don't think they're a move away yeah. from reaching the Blue Jays, the Rays, or the Red Sox, and that's already enough teams to fill in yeah. um, the gap. Unless someone really, really has some... Re- like, unless someone like the Red Sox goes on a 14-game losing streak like the Angels did, has to fire their manager. I doubt they would ever fire Alex Cora no matter what happened, but... um. You know, unless there's something like that and then the team is injured or whatever and they really feel like there's a chance and even there's a chance for them to be better than the Angels who, despite a 14-game losing streak, are still a game ahead of them, uh, they won't be making that move. Although, again, I wouldn't doubt them trying to make it a little bit interesting by getting a guy that's there for this, the end of this year and next year. Yeah, and then the Angels, of course, now have a tougher road to climb with a significant injury to Rendon. So, uh, not, not looking good for them. I know he hasn't been contributing, but... You thought maybe there. Hey, I gave you the look. I'm not saying it myself. If he starts hitting, maybe that's like one of their what ifs. All right. Yeah, but I mean, the what? Well, there are a lot of what ifs in the MLB, and uh, let's just say there are a lot of teams, especially in the NL West, that need a lot of what ifs to happen. But uh, okay, well, let's then move. I don't think Anthony Rendon's the most consistent of those. Well, maybe he was a hope for a spark that that could help them. But also, he's he's just kind of an also because of the fact that he's specifically on the Angels, it kind of adds that little air to it of one of those pickups that gets in the talks of some of the worst contracts of all time that they keep pulling off. We're going to move off the Angel bashing and move on to the National League uh, starting in the East. Well, a team that always gets bashed for their lack of, well, winning and choking pretty much everything, the New York Mets. They're 44-24, 647 winning percentage, the second best in the league, only only worse than the Yankees. Uh, That is not too shabby at all. Uh, They they are 6-4 in their last 10. And despite the Braves, I mean, the Braves are 15-2 and two in June, but they're still five and a half games back of the Mets. Um, so that just shows you how well the Mets have been playing over a sustained level. And now Max Scherzer is even apparently rumored to be close to making a rehab start, which a lot of, whole, a lot of hoops to jump through before he actually makes a major league start again. But same time, that is positive news uh, for the Mets. For the Braves, 15-2 and two in June, like I said. But again, five and a half games back still. And... In the NL West, just to make comparisons of who's the best division right now, they would be fourth behind the Dodgers, the Padres, and San Francisco, despite being 15-2 and two to start this month. It is ridiculous how deep the NL West is, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, the Phillies playing well. They're 7-3 and three in their last 10. They're above 500, pretty squarely above it when you consider how bad they were at the start of the season. They're 36-32. and 32. Uh, They are eight games back of the Mets. 
but I believe not too far off of a wild card spot. I guess they'd be four or so games off of it. Um, although there's also a division tie to talk about with the Cardinals and the Brewers, which means that there's an extra wild card team, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in the end, though, they're still having a decent season, and uh, they're starting to turn it around, that is for sure. Then you have the Marlins, who are 13 games back, 29 and 35, despite having the best pitcher in the league so far, Sandy Alcantara. He cannot do enough to carry this team. I saw a graph of the guys with the lowest ERA um, and highest innings pitched of people who have made six starts in the last six weeks, I think, or something like that. And his ERA is the lowest, and his innings pitched is also the highest by, like, 20 innings. So they're trying to do all they can to have him uh, just carry that team, but, you know, he can only generate you a win for every five days. He's not going to go out and make that team uh, a playoff team for now, uh, although the Marlins still do have a deep enough roster that I, I wouldn't call that out of the question. But for now sitting at fourth in that division and not exactly in playoff contention. Then you have the second worst record in baseball, the Washington Nationals, 24 and 46. Uh, rebuilding mode is the only word I, words I can use, and uh, they're two and eight in their last 10. Okay, well, let's move to the Central. St. Louis and Milwaukee are now tied atop the NL Central with 38 and 30 records after Milwaukee won three in a row over the weekend behind a sweep from the Reds, and St. Louis lost their weekend series to the Red Sox. The Cardinals and Brewers are now playing each other in a four-game series in Milwaukee. It started today, will end on Thursday. Um, so that this division might have some more clarity by the end of the week, or they split the series and it ends up back at square one with them having 40 and 32 records, and they're both still eight games above 500, just like they were entering this week. Um, but we'll see what happens. Uh, I would I would think the Cardinals are going to win that series, but at the same time, four-game series, so it's a lot tougher to win than a normal series because uh, you have to win three out of four, so that's a lot tougher. But then you have the Pirates. Um, I don't know. They're kind of in the Rangers category of things, but without a good starting point for this year. They called up O'Neill Cruz after what felt like an eternity. Um, the biggest shortstop you'll ever see. Sorry, Fernando Tatis, but you are not 6'7". Uh, he has been doing some good things in his debut. He's fast, even though he's, you know, 6'7". Uh, he can hit the ball hard. I saw something today that he has already, in literally two days in the MLB, he already has the hardest hit ball of the season for the entire team of the Pirates, not just over a small stretch, not just over the last two games, the hardest hit ball of the season, uh, which was, I think, a bases-clearing double. But anyway... They also have Jack Swinski, who became the first rookie ever to hit three home runs and a walk-off home run in the same game, walking off the Giants on uh, Sunday. And uh, despite being two and eight in their last ten, it feels like—I mean, that—it feels like they have a lot of things going right for them, despite the fact that they're two and eight in their last ten. But uh, I think it's more about the future for the Pirates. I think we all know this, but maybe some of these prospects that they're bringing up—they keep playing well, and all of a sudden, maybe next year we're talking about the Pirates as a team that. In a less deep NL, maybe they can make a run. Uh, we'll see. But then you have the Cubs, 12 games back. Not a happy 2-8 and eight in the last 10 team. They had lost 10 games in a row before snapping the Braves' 14-game winning streak uh, on Saturday, on Friday. That Just because, you know, it's baseball and weird stuff like that happens all the time. Uh, but 25-41, 12 games back. No chance of winning this division. No chance of getting in the playoffs. They are, re they are on an, a longer rebuild than the Pirates are because their prospects are even younger. The Pirates have been building them up for years, but the Cubs 
just starting their rebuild. And then you have the Reds, who are 23 and 43, in a similar situation to the Cubs. They now have the third worst losing per- winning percentage. Maybe, maybe, maybe fourth? No, third. Uh, still worse than the Royals. But 23 and 43, 14 games back. They've lost four in a row. Three and seven in the last 10. Not much to talk about there. Okay, well, there's a lot to talk about in the National League West, so let's move there. Despite being 7-11 and 11 since May 30th and 7-9 and nine in June, the Dodgers reclaim first place from the Padres uh, at the end of the weekend, even after losing their series at home to the Guardians because the Padres were swept by the Rockies. Uh, with Mookie going to the IL after Bueller already went there, the time is now for the Dodgers' divisional opponents to take the lead because if not now, there will not be a win. Um, look, the fact of the matter is, this is as injured as you're going to get the Dodgers. Uh, this is as bad as they're going to play, unless Mookie gets injured again. Um, and because we're still six weeks away from the trade deadline, despite the Dodgers making a move for Trace Thompson, he's probably got, well, good week for that family. Um, yes, he's the brother of Clay. Uh, because of that move, that doesn't really do anything for them. That's just a plot. That's just as Dave Roberts described it, a platoon righty for the moment while Mookie is out. Um, to play in the outfield, but it's not going to do much for them. And since we're still six weeks away from the trade deadline, we know that even a major injury won't cause the Dodgers to do anything at this point. Uh, you might see if, if for example, so another starting pitcher of the Dodgers, let's say Heaney, reaggravated his injury and went on the IL for the whole year or for 60 days or something. If we were closer to the trade deadline, the Dodgers might consider making a move. But... Considering we're still six weeks away and those talks have yet to heat up, they probably wouldn't even make a move. So, again, every injury, it feels a lot bigger now because there's not going to be a big-name replacement for anybody at any point soon. But six weeks from now, if they have the same situation, the Dodgers might just get a big name for, for to replace someone, just like they did last year when Corey Seager was out for a while, and then all of a sudden they pulled the trigger on getting Trey Turner and getting Max Scherzer for rotational depth, too. So, uh you never know what will happen when it gets closer to the trade deadline, but since we're far away from it, Dodgers aren't going to do much to patch up that large hole that they have without Mookie. Um, and even probably the hole without Walker Buehler, they're kind of just going to wait on. I mean, Heaney came back over the weekend. They also have guys like Dustin May who are coming back over uh, off of injury later in the season. A lot of arms that were injured in Blake Trinan too, same situation with him. Um, he'll be back later in the season. So the Dodgers have problems to fix, but they're going to be pretty passive on them for now. They will only start making moves towards the trade deadline if those issues seem to be looming big again. But the Padres, a half game back despite having the perfect opportunity to, well, they actually had the division lead, I think, on Friday for or on Thursday for by a half a game for like a minute or two, I guess 20 hours or so. But failed to keep that lead. They're 41-27, and 27, still a very good team. They are very easily um, in playoff contention and in a spot for the playoffs right now, just not in the divisional lead. However, Manny Machado has an ankle injury, so uh, we're just going to have to see if that one holds him out for a while because that will be just as big of an issue for them as the Mookie Betts injury is for the Dodgers. Uh, he definitely is an MVP candidate himself right now. Maybe even the leading candidate, I would argue, because I don't think this team would be anywhere if it weren't for him, especially with Tatis out. But they also got bad news on Tatis. They thought he might be ready uh, by mid-June to start making some rehab starts. Uh, doing some more stuff, and I think I saw somewhere something about he's still not throwing from shortstop or anything, so doesn't look like he's super close to coming back, but maybe a mu- maybe maybe still less than a month, but definitely not as close as they originally thought uh, he would be at this point in the year. Then you have the Giants, who were three games back, 
slowly creeping up on the Padres and the Dodgers, 7-3 in their last 10 at 37-28. and 28. Uh, They have a good run differential. They've been a good team this year. They have not fallen off like you thought they would. They've been pretty much exactly what I expected. I thought they'd take a little bit of a backseat to the Dodgers. I didn't expect them to be worse than the Padres, I will admit. Um, But especially without Tatis, at least for this portion of the year, I didn't expect them to be worse. Um, And, you know, they're still a decent team, but, you know, they they have some things they can still improve on. And maybe they'll make another deal at the trade deadline this year. We will see. Uh, but now you have the Arizona Diamondbacks, 32 and 36, nine and a half games back in the division. Uh, not much to talk about with them. They've been getting better, I guess, steadily over the past few years. And their team is very young, so uh, they have a lot of things to look forward to in the future, but not quite now. Then you have the Rockies, who, even though they swept the Padres over the weekend, still are only five and five in their last 10, 11 games back, 30 and 37, despite that sweep. Okay, well, that wraps up our look at Major League Baseball for this week. It also wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be next Monday, June 27th, where we will discuss Patrick's predictions for the next weekend's games and have our weekly deep dive into Major League Baseball. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including those picks for next weekend's games, which will be posted, as always, on Thursday, and his updated Major League Baseball power rankings that will be posted tomorrow. All of that on our website, fourthand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.